Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode. Um, We're going to continue the Roman series today. We're going to jump to chapter 3 though. I was reading through some of my old notes and I was just like, wow, this is good. I need to share, which is typically how these episodes go. Um, Typically, I am reading something and the Holy Spirit just speaks to me and jumps out at me and I'm like, wow, okay, I need to share that. (laughs) Um... I need to talk about God's goodness and his faithfulness. So that's kind of what today's about. God's just been reminding me of his faithfulness lately. And I was just reading in through my notes of Romans chapter 3, which the little headers in the Bible um, says God's faithfulness, which I know the headers weren't there when it was written. But still, I think it's cool that... What God has been reminding me about is the header of this chapter and this notebook has actually been at home with my parents and I just recently got it back and I was missing it because it was my note-taking notebook. So I'm glad that I got it, but I was just reading through my old notes and I was like, wow, this is good. So as we did chapter one, I'm going to pray a sin. I'm going to read chapter three and then I'm just going to talk as things have been pointed out to me and just kind of go over what I've been learning from this chapter. So let's pray and let's get started. Uh, Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness, God, for your faithfulness. I praise you for who you are, God. You are good. You are faithful. You are just. You're merciful. You're gracious and graceful. God, you give when we don't deserve, Lord, and you shower us with your with your goodness but also lord i praise you for disciplining us when we need it lord for showing us the paths of righteousness lord for convicting us of our sin lord i just pray that you would give us all softened hearts to those things that lord that we would hear your voice we'd hear what you're saying to us god that we would see your hand at work in our lives and that we would trust you above all else god that we would have faith in you to do the things that you've promised and to accomplish the things that you have set out for us, God. I'm so grateful to be your child, Lord, and to have um, just been part of the story of the world, Lord. You have given us such great opportunities to be representatives for you, and how great an honor that is, Lord. How great an honor it is to be chosen to be a vessel. Lord, I pray that None of us would take that lightly, Lord, that we wouldn't treat it as a common thing, or that we would revere you and that we would revere these opportunities that you give us. Lord, I pray that as we read your word today, that your Holy Spirit would reveal your truth to us, Lord, that it would change our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would become more and more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, verse one of chapter three. What advantage, oh, excuse me little context. Um, it's going to start talking about circumcision in verse one verse. The last verse in chapter two talks about, um, some being circumcised is circumcision of the heart by the Holy spirit and that our praise is not from other people, but from God. So that's kind of like the context, super good way to end chapter two. So verse one, what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision much in every way? First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. 
What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. And already something comes to mind. Just when it says, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Then it says, not at all, let God be true. I was reading in Isaiah the other day, and when Isaiah fifty five eleven just really blew my mind. It, I've, I've listened, I've read, I've listened, I don't even know what I'm saying. I've read this verse before and listened to a couple pastors like make comments on this verse, but it it just goes so well with this section where it just it just says, um, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, sorry, it's ten and eleven, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood blood bud and flourish. So that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for, purpose for which I sent it. And just as it says, is what if some were unfaithful, were their unfaithfulness nullified God's faithfulness? Not at all. God is telling us right here in Isaiah chapter 55 that his word is like the rain and the snow that comes down from heaven. And it doesn't return to the sky without watering the earth, without giving life to the seeds, without watering the plants that are already there, without causing those plants to bud and to flourish and to produce fruit. And it yields then more seed for more plants and more things to grow. And it yields bread, a harvest for the person, for the eater, you know? And he's saying that that's how his word is. It says, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for, purpose for which I sent it. The Lord speaks his word. He gives us the Bible. He speaks to us. He convicts us for a purpose. It's not just for anything. When we're unfaithful, when the world is unfaithful, God's faithfulness still goes out and it still changes people's hearts. It still convicts. It still um, sanctifies and purifies and it accomplishes what God desires. And the Bible is full of telling us what God desires. You know, he desires that we abide in him. It desires that we live righteous lives. He desires that we are conformed to the image of his son, that our minds are renewed, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that the fruit of the spirit grow in our lives. That's what he desires. And his word will go out and accomplish what he set out for it to do. You know, if he says he would never leave us nor forsake us, well, guess what? He's never going to because his word does not return void. It does not accomplish anything other than what God intended for it to accomplish. And I think this is such a beautiful thing where it says that his word is like the rain and the snow. It will water us. It will make us bud. It will make us flourish. It will yield seed. It will yield bread. We will see fruit in our lives. We will see change in our lives when we remain faithful to the Lord's faithfulness. It's kind of like what Hosea talks about where, you know, Hosea was this prophet who God said, all right, you're going to marry this lady and she's kind of a prostitute. And Hosea loves her and loves her despite her, her past and even loves her despite her 
committing adultery and selling herself back to the streets where Hosea literally goes and buys her back, which is crazy because it's a parallel of God's love and his faithfulness to us. That's, I mean, I'm going off a track just a little bit, but that's why marriage is such a beautiful thing because as the Bible says that it is just an image of Christ's relationship with the church um, and with his people, um, you know, it. It is true. He is faithful to us when we're unfaithful, you know? Like, every time we choose our sin over God, we're committing adultery against the Lord. Every time we choose something else over choosing Him, we're saying, you know, Lord, I I want this more than you. And in Hosea, he buys her back from the streets, and God sent His Son Jesus to buy us back from the chains of sin that we sold ourselves into when we back when Adam and Eve decided to choose sin over God, but when we choose sin over God, we're choosing what we're enslaved to. And um, it says here, what if some were unfaithful? Were their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? No, it won't. God is true. And then it goes on in verse 5 to talk about these like human arguments that people have of like, oh, well, if God... If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness, you know, then we shouldn't be um, called sinners. And it's unjust for judgment to be brought on us. But if God wasn't perfect, then he wouldn't be able to judge the world at all. And if we weren't perfect, if we were perfect, there would be nothing to set right. And then it says in verse 7, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned a sinner? Sinner, Why not say, as some slanderous claim, that we say, Let's, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. There's another part of the Bible that just talks about how, you know, unbelief, which is, you know, unfaithfulness as well in, in some degree, same concept as far as, like, sin goes, you know, that unbelief is already the basis of condemnation. You know, when you refuse Jesus Christ and you say, I will not believe in him or I'm choosing other, I'm choosing something else over him, that that in and itself is, is justified for the condemnation. Thankfully, Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. But just generally speaking, unbelief is what, starts our condemnation and then on when we add the sin that we commit that we don't repent of you know speaking to unbelievers you know that that just is not even more justification for what god does because he's already justified in what he does but it's just adding to it it's just icing on the cake that was already iced um you know but god is just and he's faithful and he gives us a way out always so anyways let's continue I know I got off on a little tangent for a second but I'm just a very passionate person um verse 9 what shall we conclude then do we have any advantage not at all for for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are like all under the power of sin we are all under the power of sin apart from Christ as it is written There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves and their tongues practice deceit. 
The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I know here in Romans, you know, the scripture is is pointing back to Old Testament scripture, but, you know, how perfect is it that this gets brought up? You know, a lot of people say, you know, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Well, guess what? The Bible says that there's no one righteous, not even one. Point blank, plain and simple. You can't say anything else. We need Jesus. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one not good, not even one. It says it twice. When the Bible says something twice, you better be listening. You better be listening anyway, but especially when God repeats himself. Woo. Next, verse 13, their throats are open graves and their tongues practice deceit. You guys, I know that there's like this weird saying that goes around, you know, like you can speak life and you can speak death. It's like, yeah, okay. But if you really think about it conceptually and what the Bible says about our throats being open graves and tongues practicing deceit, like although we don't have the ability to speak things into existence, we have the ability to build up or tear down people with our words. And the two commandments are to love God and to love others. And so when we are using our, our tongues, our, our mouths to speak, you know, poorly about people to bring them down, we are being disobedient to the Lord. And that again is pointing back to there's no one righteous, not even one. The next it says, you know, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Are we harboring bitterness in our hearts? Are we harboring unforgiveness? You know, the Lord says in his word that if we don't forgive, that God won't forgive us. And, you know, how can we expect God to do something for us that we're not even willing to do for someone else? Um, One thing I was reading in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 1. Let me just it up really quick but um it was just about you know what how we can truly defeat the enemy and I just it was like this amazing spirit-filled epiphany here um it's 2nd Corinthians 2 verses 5 through 11 it says if anyone has caused grief he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent not to put it too severely the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Verse 11 is really where it gets you. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes. And what I, what the Holy Spirit really spoke to me right there is forgiveness kills the enemy. You know, Paul literally says, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. He has forgiven them to outwit Satan because we are not unaware of his schemes. What are his schemes? His schemes are to take these seeds of bitterness and unforgiveness and whether he plants them there or you plant them there yourself, he wants them to grow and grow to the point where as the parable, I'm pretty sure it's the parable of the sower, but where the seed goes on the different types of soil and one gets choked out, one never, one never sprouts, one doesn't produce roots and one grows really well. 
He wants it to get choked out. He wants the the seed of the Lord, the word of God. He wants your faith to be choked out by the cares of the world, by the deceitfulness of the flesh, by the deceitfulness of wealth, by unforgiveness, by bitterness, by all of these things that can take over our hearts. He wants us to let go of those. Jesus wants us to let go of those so that we will outwit the enemy and so that we will be aware of his schemes against us. The enemy wants us to our faith to be choked out while the Lord wants our faith to grow. And as hard as it is sometimes to forgive people, to forgive ourselves for the way that we treat other people because we can't hold ourselves, we can't hold on to that guilt and that shame if we can ask the Lord to forgive us and be okay, be content in that forgiveness that he's given us and to put that on ourselves and say, you know, I have repented, I'm forgiven, I need to not hold this over myself anymore. We have to do that, and we have to be aware of the enemy schemes to um, choke us out. He wants us to focus on our feelings and, you know, be really selfish. And selfishness is not of the Bible. The Bible is about humility. You know, the Lord says that, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and grace is the power of god (laughs) you know and it's just so important that we are aware of the way that the enemy attacks us and that we understand the biblical ways to combat that you know with scripture with forgiveness with handing that over to jesus it's so so vitally important you know and having just like Romans 3 is talking about it's God's faithfulness and us having faith as well like God is faithful that he will give us a way out in the time of temptation to be unforgiving to be bitter but he's also faithful to conform us to the image of Jesus if we seek him out you know Romans 20 not Romans 29 Jeremiah 29 um, 11 through 13 or 14 just talks about that you know The Lord has good plans for his people, but we have to seek him out in order to see what that is. And we have to um, seek him with all of our heart. And then he promises that we will find him. And then as Romans 12 talks about, you know, we need to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will be able to know and test what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. You know, and his will ultimately is to make us look like Jesus, to perfect us and to sanctify us and for us to go out into the world and fulfill the great commission of bringing people into the kingdom with us and that only happens when we have faith in the lord when while we're struggling with our faith we come to him and we lay it at the feet of the cross and we um, become aware of the enemy's schemes we forgive we grab hold of the salvation that is given to us in the forgiveness of our sins you know like there's so it's so beautiful how God's word comes together to sit, tell us the same message, but it's so important to remember God is faithful and I need to be faithful. I need to chase after the Lord and he in turn will be found by me and I will be able to become more like him and have the power to forgive the people that I may not want to forgive or have the power to get rid of that root of bitterness that's in your heart, you know, and we have to trust the Lord to do it. And we have to allow him to do it and not think that we can do it on our own because we can't. <laughs> no one is righteous, not even one, remember. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, let's continue verse 19. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Wow. So that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. There is going to be a day where every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and everyone will be held accountable for every action, good and bad, every work, every careless word, and that is confirmed here. Verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We're not saved by the law. We're not saved by following the rules. The rules are there just to make us aware of our sin and make us realize that we really aren't good and that we do need Jesus. Um, But through faith, we are able to produce those good works that Jesus prepared for us in advance to do, the good things he has prepared for us. Verse 21, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. It's been made known apart from the law, which is Jesus. Verse 22, sorry, I added some of my own commentary on there. I got excited. Verse 22, the righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we all fall short of the glory of God, but we can all be freely justified by Jesus Christ through that redemption, through his forgiveness of our sins, through his shedding of the blood. As verse 25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Do we trust that that's true? Do you believe Jesus when he tells you that he's the son of God, that he is your savior, that he is the, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega? Do you believe that? He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to, ju- as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by his faith? By this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Faith in Jesus is a beautiful thing. When we trust what he says, when we believe him, when we take him for his word, and then we begin to walk in obedience, our hearts and our minds are changed. You know, it, it, it says rather we uphold, do we nullify the law by, by this faith? Not at all. Rather we uphold the law. Yes, we, when we have faith in Jesus and we trust that his ways are higher than ours and that what he's telling us to do is for our good and for his glory, we are living and walking in obedience. We are abiding in him. We are doing what he's called us to do. And that is amazing. He blesses us. And whether we get an earthly blessing or a heavenly blessing, just know that God sees you. God sees you doing those things for his kingdom. And he wants to empower you to do more. 
you know, Jesus, one of Jesus' things that he had said, you know, before he left the earth, he said, you know, all the things that I have done, my disciples, my, my disciples, my followers will do, and even greater. And I always get so hyped up about that with my friends when I talk about the Lord, because I'm just like, Jesus raised people from the dead, and he's telling us that we're going to do greater. Like, where's my faith at, Taylor? You know, Jesus always says, like, you, not always, but he says in the Bible to some people, you have little faith. Like, yeah, Taylor, come on. Faith of the size of a mustard seed, that thing is real tiny. Like, get yourself together. Um, have that childlike faith to trust God, that he's sovereign, that he has a plan and a purpose no matter what, that he is faithful. He is so faithful. Sorry, you can probably hear Bo, my dog, flapping around back there. Um... No, but he is so faithful. He has defeated sin and death so that we can walk in freedom both now and in eternity from the power of sin. He has given us everything that we need to live a righteous and a godly life in this present age, according to Titus chapter 2. There's only one God who justifies the circumcised and the circumcised through the same faith. Every person on this earth through the same faith in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, can come to a place of repentance. You know, there's another verse. Where is it? It it says that God's kindness and his patience with us is intended to bring us to repentance. He's not just being nice just because. Like, obviously, he's God and he is a nice, he's, he's kind. But he's also just. That's why we get disciplined, you know, because... God wants to make us more like his son and he wants to bring us more into righteousness and holiness. But it's also because he's just and he has to right the wrongs. But his, it's ultimately all to bring us to repentance, um, to bring us to our knees before the Father saying, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me and help me to not ever do what I just did again. And I think that's one thing that not a lot of people are taught is the difference between forgiveness and repentance because repentance is turning away you know we need to turn away from our sin and choose jesus and that's only possible through the power of the holy spirit but we have to we have to turn away from our sin and walk in the freedom that christ has for us and um i'm looking for oh here it is in first peter chapter one it talks about praising God for a living hope. And it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll move this over so you can hear better. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Through faith, we are shielded by God's power. When we choose to hold on to the Lord, He shields us through that faith in Jesus Christ, through that faith in the redemption, through that joy that we have in the resurrection. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Please take the time to read that for yourselves, ponder it, meditate on it, pray over it, pray it out loud, speak it. That is powerful right there. God's word is powerful, but wow, that is so good. Through faith, we are shielded by God's power to be kept for this inheritance because of the resurrection. These have come, the, the griefs and the griefs, griefs, I don't know if that's a word, but the things that we've suffered and the things that we will suffer and all the trials we go through have come so that our faith will be proven genuine and that we will be refined by fire. And that refinement may result in praise, glory, and honor for Jesus, but also at the end of verse 9, for the salvation of our souls. And I love the encouragement of verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That is the result of our belief and our faith is an increased love of the Lord, but also a glorious joy of what's to come and knowing that you are receiving the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. God is using these trials that we go through, using the the hard times and using the spirit to convict us, to bring us to repentance so that we can receive salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's such a beautiful story that has been interwoven and intertwined with the whole word of God from Genesis to Revelation is just this amazing story of Jesus and how God loves us and how he's redeeming us and how he's calling us to something greater than ourselves. And so my hope and prayer for you guys and for myself is just that we would realize that, that we would see God's hand in everything, that we would hold on tightly to the hope that we have And that we would chase after the Lord with all of our heart. That we would seek him with everything that we have. And that we would choose to put our hope in him above all else. So good, guys. Just remember, God is faithful. Go to him. Turn to him. Have faith in the Lord. And he will always, always, always provide. All right. Have a good day, guys. See you next time.